You're listening to Vernacular Podcast. Welcome back to Vernacular Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. And today, of all days, this introductory music, which is Travis County by Gary Clark Jr., is extraordinarily appropriate. Sally, tell us why. We are now in Travis County. That's right. So for those of you who have listened to previous episodes recently, you know that we're, we were in the process of moving to Austin, Texas, and we have now arrived. We're now Austinites. Is that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We're not really Austinites. We're Totally transplants, but we're living in Austin, so we made it to Travis County, ATX. Yeah. Hashtag ATX. We survived our move. We're moved in. We're organized. We are now in our new recording studio, which is one of our closets. That's right. A smaller, more cramped, less soundproofed closet <laughs> without a door, no less. So, yeah, we apologize if the sound quality is less than what you're used to, but... We will try to improve it over time. We indeed will. <laughs> Sally, initial impressions of Austin. So far, I think the food is great. Yes, definitely agreed. We We've went out eaten very well. We have. We went out for Sally's birthday a couple nights ago. Went to a place called Ramen Tatsuya. And that was our first ramen experience ever. So we can't really compare well, it with other hold ramen. On, hold on. I've had microwave ramen. Okay. <laughs> This was that. not my first ever ramen experience. Oh, sorry. Yeah. This was my first time having <laughs> high-end ramen, which I mean, I honestly didn't even know was a thing. I really. felt like we were in an episode of Master of None. Yeah. Well, th- that was the inspiration for it. We were watching Master of None and Aziz Ansari takes his friend to a ramen bar and it looked delicious. It looked amazing. So when I was thinking, where can I take Sally to surprise her for her birthday, this ramen place was It was such a good surprise list. and it is now my new favorite cuisine. Yeah, Sally has been really excited about the ramen. It was I'm, so I'm very good. excited it was such a success. It was so good. So we had that. We had a really cool pizza from a place called Home Slice that we really enjoyed. We I had, had my first Torchy's Tacos. Torchy's Tacos, another Austin It was a salmon taco. Favorite if you so talk good. to Austin people. That's what they told us, and it was very good. Yeah. So yeah, we, we'll, we'll, we'll be talking about Austin a lot more in the weeks and months to come. Hopefully not too much. Hopefully you don't mind us talking about Austin all the time. But <laughs> we're not going to act like we know everything. We just wanted to tell you. We're here. We're still exploring. We made it. Definitely exploring. Definitely eating lots of good food. If you have recommendations for us, here, really let good. us know. Quality produce. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, we've had some good strawberries and blueberries, which our daughters have loved. So anyway, <laughs> we have a good episode lined up today. We're talking to Chandler Ride, who is an amateur filmmaker and an aspiring professional filmmaker. Hoping to go pro, yeah. And uh, he's going to talk to us about Dunkirk. So, I guess we'll do that next. The call went out. We have to go to Dunkirk. Ready on the stern line. What are you doing? You know where we're going. Into war, George. I'll be useful, sir. What of ours? He's on me. I'm on him. The ship's about to leave. Down you go. Oh, yeah. Tornado! Oh, yeah. 
They need to send more ships. Every hour the enemy pushes closer. They've activated the civilian boats. Civilians? We need destroyers. Where are we going? Dunkirk! All right, welcome back to Vernacular Podcast. Uh, as I mentioned in our intro, we're here with Chandler Ride. Chandler, welcome to the show. Thanks, thanks. I'm excited to be here. So as I described, Chandler, he is an amateur filmmaker now, but he is uh, getting ready to jump into the film industry, and he's hoping to become a professional filmmaker. His stuff's really good. His understanding of the camera far exceeds my own, which isn't saying much, but <laughs> he knows Thank what you. he's talking about. So we thought we'd bring him on the show to talk about Dunkirk, which is a movie that he recently saw and is Christopher Nolan's 10th film, I believe. Is that correct, Chandler? Uh, you know, I don't exactly remember. Um, the It's around 9 or 10, yeah. Yeah, so somewhere around there. Um, and Dunkirk has been received pretty well. I saw the Rotten Tomatoes score, I think it was in the 80, 80s somewhere. That's pretty good. Uh, when okay. I looked earlier today. So critics are receiving it well. Audiences have received it well. Chandler, what's your overall impression having seen the film? Well, I I really, really liked the, the movie. Um, and, you know, it's... Uh, with Nolan's previous work, he, he tends to, you know, uh, he likes to kind of take things apart and put them back together in interesting ways. So that's why you get those linear, nonlinear timelines. And um, uh, a lot of his more recent movies, especially Interstellar and The Dark Knight Rises, have, in my opinion, been a little bit too big. Um, like the the scale and the um, number of important characters and uh, the um, just like the, the kind of narrative threads that he's trying to tie together along with all these crazy um, philosophical ideas and, and um, interesting timelines. Uh, I, in my opinion, were... Uh, they didn't quite make it for me with Interstellar and The Dark Knight Rises, but I was really impressed with Dunkirk because it's much more contained. You know, it's a um, it's his shortest film I think since his very first feature, um, Following, and even though it's got a hundred fifty million dollar budget, so it's really large budget. Um, he really put all of that money into uh, making sure that the the experience of seeing the movie was really, really, really impressive by putting, um, you know, real fighter planes and real boats in front of the stuff and, and having lots of real people instead of having digital CGI extras. But all that said, it's in spite of the spectacle, it's still, um, you know, a fairly small story compared to Interstellar, um, just about people trying to survive and get off a beach. So I want to come back to this nonlinear time thing, but speaking yeah. of speaking of timelines, I just want to sort of capture what the Battle of Dunkirk was all about and what this, mm-hmm. the historical event that this movie is portraying. So uh, for those of you who, who may not be aware, in late 1939, that's when uh, Nazi Germany, the Third Reich, marched into Poland, uh, took Belgium, and uh, started to basically advance on French territory. The Maginot Line was the defensive fortification that the French were relying on to hold. The Germans blazed through it. So September 1939 kicked off the Phony War. And they called this the Phony War because it was kind of a cold war. There were some skirmishes here and there. I think the French did a fainting attack into Belgium, but quickly withdrew. And so nothing really happened. Like I said, a few skirmishes here and there, some, some aerial engagements, whatnot. But there were a lot of British forces, the BEF, the British Expeditionary Force, hold up uh, close to the coast in France, close to a place called Dunkirk. 
And they were there with a bunch of French troops as well. There were uh, well over 300,000 British troops, I think close to, to 400,000. Um, or maybe that's just actually the, the total British and French, but there were a lot of British troops. I think it was close to 400,000. Um, and they all ended up basically pinned against Dunkirk with nowhere to go. And so the Battle of Dunkirk is the battle between those forces and the Germans. But more often people talk about Dunkirk. They're really referring to the evacuation of the, of the troops from the shores of France to Britain. And in order to make this happen, the British had to mobilize a ton of vessels, not just military vessels, but also civilian vessels, fishing vessels, tourism vessels, whatever, to get over 300,000 British troops home. Now, the Brits and the French suffered a lot of losses. I think there were around 70,000 casualties, either captured, wounded, or dead on the Allied side of this. But still kind of a miracle that these guys were not just slaughtered on the beach a whole and entire because the British were able to pull off the rescue effort. So that's the heroic... Uh, effort that constituted Dunkirk. It holds a special place in British military history lore. And it also happened uh, in the first month of, or really I just over the first month, I think. Uh, yeah, no, it was the first month. I think it was May 10th, 1940, that Winston Churchill became the Prime Minister of England. So within the first month, mm-hmm. there were the Brits pulling this off. So that's sort of the historical background for Dunkirk, the, the timeline, um, so to speak. So um, that's what this, that's what the movie's about. Um, but I guess I'll turn it back to you now, Chandler. So I want to, I want to answer the question or ask you the question of how the nonlinear time tells the story. But I guess first to answer that, you'll have to explain to us what you mean by nonlinear storytelling. Yeah. Um, I mean, basically, uh, the difference between linear and nonlinear just being that if it's a linear story, then it starts at the kind of chronological beginning and ends at the chronological end. But a nonlinear story is probably going to, you know, maybe like start somewhere in the middle and then go to the beginning and then go to the end and then kind of jump back to the beginning or the end. And and basically imagine, you know, taking kind of a vertical timeline, cutting it up into pieces and shuffling it around. That's what I mean when I say nonlinear storytelling. Um, And so, you know, Nolan loves doing this. and We've seen it in a lot of his movies in the past, um, uh, especially with Memento, which was one of his kind of early big breakout movies. But... um, here, what he does is um, he really wanted to capture uh, the experience of the soldiers involved in all the different uh, arenas, and he, he wanted to give uh, a kind of focused idea of um, kind of what it would have been like to be on the ground or what it would have been like to be um, on the sea and, and in the air, um, and then to give a, a kind of bigger sense of the whole picture, he cuts between these different sections where um, there's a good chunk of the movie is devoted to these soldiers who are trapped on the beach who are trying to get off. A good chunk of the movie is devoted to um, civilians who are sailing across the sea to pick up the soldiers, and then a good chunk of the movie is devoted to basically Tom Hardy in a um, in a, a, a Spitfire fighter jet flying around um, trying to um, protect all of uh, his you know, his buddies basically from getting blown up by, um, the enemy, uh, bombers. And the really interesting thing about this timeline is that, um, all of the people on the ground, um, though that time takes one week and then the people in the boats is one day. And then the people in the air is one hour. It's kind of confusing. that's That's cool. Um, but by showing that, you know, those different, uh, kind of sets of time, the one week, one day, and one hour, 
um, it really starts to get disorienting. And you're sitting in the theater and, you know, uh, sometimes the urge for me was to try and be a detective and put together exactly what the timeline is. But I think that the movie almost wants to be disorienting. It wants to confuse you with what's happening when and you're not quite sure, um, you know, is did this happen before that event or whatever? Because... I imagine that it would have been like that for the soldiers on the ground, probably really confusing and really, um, you know, difficult to piece together exactly what's going on. And as the audience, we get that um, similar experience. And then further, that kind of jumbled timeline also builds um, a lot of suspense and and it elevates um, some of the moments uh, when the timelines start to converge and, and, and interact in interesting ways. So you say that you, you were tempted to, play detective and try to yeah. extrapolate how these sequences fit together. But, yeah. but it sounds like you sort of appreciated or were able to appreciate what Nolan was trying to do. I'm not sure if that's the case for everybody. So if yeah. I, you know, <laughs> it, me sitting in your shoes, I don't know if I, uh, if I have the same impulse you do to, to resist that temptation and just to appreciate what Nolan's trying to convey. I also uh-huh. read another review by, uh, David Edelstein who reviews movie movies for Vulture and uh and he, he basically it nolan time yeah he criticized yeah he said it was a good <laughs> a good film marred by nolan's tricks basically um and he said apart from its philosophical heft nolan time has the benefit of psyching audiences out keeping them so busy trying to make linear sense of what they're watching that they miss the obviousness of the plotting what do you think of that hmm. critique you know um i mean maybe maybe that's a legitimate critique um Personally, I really enjoy uh, that kind of nonlinear storytelling. I I think that with a lot of things, I'm really as a writer, I'm really interested in structure. And so, uh, when a story, um, I it's one of my own tool bags. When a story starts to feel um, uninteresting, or I'm, I'm I don't have suspense, or something like that, oftentimes um, you can do a remarkable amount of work just by moving things around. Um, and so, especially with Dunkirk, um, you know, I think Nolan is, is trying to craft something that's very uh, suspenseful. And so by shifting the timeline around, um, uh, I mean, yeah, it is, um, it is a fairly simple story when, when you get down to it. But by, I think a lot of the suspense comes from the nonlinear timeline. Um, so I guess personally, I, I enjoy um, Nolan time. Uh, although I can definitely see why some people would be annoyed by it. So another film critic, Dorothy Rabinowitz, she criticized yeah. him for not including Winston Churchill in the film. He, right. I guess we kind of hear from him, sort of, but basically he has no role in the story. And yeah. what do you think of that criticism? Yeah, well, that, that's something. Uh, there's another guy at... Um, the Weekly Standard, uh, who argued a, a very similar uh, position, I think. If I, I think it was the Weekly Standard, um, and I also got into uh, a conversation with some friends about this. And uh, basically, that critique is that there's not enough historical detail in the movie, um, and that it it, it doesn't, um, for example, have Winston Churchill. You don't get a broad sense of the political and strategic nuance of the situation. Instead, you get um, a more distilled and and focused look at just this kind of, uh, you might call it raw experience. 
Um, and some people are a little turned off by that if they, especially if they're coming into the film, um, as, as probably is standard for a war movie, um, to, uh, have an expectation that there will be some kind of, um, a broader panoramic vision of what's going on in the situation. Um, but I think that it's really clear even within the first five or 10 minutes of the movie that, um, Nolan is not trying to create a standard war movie. Uh, he is, in fact, doing a lot of things to pu- push back against the conventions of uh, the kind of war genre. And one of those things is to eliminate a lot of the background information. In interviews, he says he, doesn't, he didn't want to have people uh, you know, cut back to the, the military generals pushing you know, symbols around on maps. Um, he wanted just to convey uh, the experience of the people on the ground. And by cutting between enough of those experiences, you get this sort of panoramic, panoramic vision of uh, the situation. But again, it's, it's really focused on what the, um, what the soldiers would have experienced rather than um, what you would get looking at a history textbook or something similar. So I think that, that my, my thought on that critique is that, um, that, that these people almost wanted Dunkirk to be a different movie. Uh, they wanted it to be maybe a more conventional war film. I'm thinking of um, uh, Hacksaw Ridge last year. Yeah, um, sure. I, I love that movie. Um, but, you know, this is not a Mel Gibson war movie. Uh, it's not a Steven, Steven Spielberg war movie. It's it's a Christopher Nolan war movie. Um, so I think that when we're evaluating art, we should, and this gets into some broader, you know, philosophical uh, and artistic deep waters. Um, so we don't need to go too far in this direction if you we don't want to. We love those deep but, waters, though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, well, I think that the first question you need to ask when you're trying to evaluate the merits of a work of art is, is what is the work trying to be? Um, take it on its own terms. And then, then I think you can start to say, well, okay, did it accomplish what it set out to do? And then the third question that I'd, I'd say is, okay, so what, you know, was it worth it? And, and maybe a more interesting way to phrase that is, um, what's this work? Um, what does it have to do with the good life? Does it have a place in the good life? Um, and so I, I have a, what I think is a compelling argument um, for all three of those questions. But just the first is, the first, the answer to the first question is, I think, that this film is not trying to be a conventional war film. It wants to be uh, this very distilled and, um, uh, you know, focused and restrained look at what it would have been like to be on the ground. Um, and it wants to tell it visually rather than with dialogue. Um, and so that is inherently going to create a film that is is mostly driven by the suspense of that experience rather than the uh, broader kind of political or uh, strategic drama. I love those questions that you posited about how to evaluate a work as a piece of art. And the review that Sally mentioned by uh, Dorothy Rabinowitz was in the Wall Street Journal. And I know that you know that because we read your letter to the editor that the Wall Street Journal then published. Yeah. <laughs> so to our listeners, I encourage you to go read what Chandler's saying. So, uh, And Chandler, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but as I read Rabinowitz's op-ed, the thrust of her argument is, is as you were saying, that she that, that Nolan divorces the, the historical uh, the historical narrative, in a sense, or the strategic narrative of Dunkirk from the tactical narrative. And so yeah. we get these very intense images of men being bombed and airplanes dropping bombs. 
uh, mm-hmm. and ships on the sea. But what we don't see is the generals making the plans. What we don't see is Churchill rallying a nation to the aid of these mm-hmm. men on the beaches. And she sees a problem with that. And you, yeah. in your in your response, I thought very eloquently stated the, the alternative view that, um, and I'm just going to quote you here, that for all of its restraint, the film is still a powerful experience to watch because Mr. Nolan deconstructs the experience of soldiers and civilians and reassembles it in a tense, nonlinear film about vulnerable people struggling to survive and save lives. He takes the background details as a given. Instead, we get details like fuel gauges, propeller engines, oil leaks, and the ever-present bombs. And mm-hmm. I can really appreciate that perspective because, as you said, it's not a, it's not a typical war movie. It's a Nolan war movie. And mm-hmm. I don't think every war, war movie needs to capture what the yeah, strategic leaders yeah. are thinking. I mean, a war movie, in my opinion, a war movie at its finest would actually capture what the men at war are doing and thinking and experiencing. And it, it uh-huh. sounds like Dunkirk does that very well. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I mean, I, I guess I obviously wrote those words, but <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I I think the question for me comes down to, um, you know, does does a war film necessarily need to include those uh, broader historical and strategic details? And I don't think that every war film necessarily have to or has to. It, it can, sure, and that can be done very well, and it has been in other movies, but but this is not one of those movies. And and maybe, you know, the case could be made that, okay, Dunkirk is probably going to be the definitive movie about Dunkirk, um, and most people are going to know uh, about Dunkirk, at least in America or other countries besides Britain. They're probably going to know about Dunkirk through this movie rather than, um, you know, through the stuff they learn in class or through kind of a, a cultural myth that got, got passed down. Right. Um, and... So, you know, maybe you could say that um, for that purpose it should have had more detail. Um, but I also think that there's something to be said for someone going to watch this movie. Like, I, I didn't know anything about Dunkirk until I watched the movie. Um, and then that kind of inspired me to try and to, to learn more about um, the situation outside of that. You know, and, I, and, I, and since then I've heard in interviews or I've heard from, uh, you know, other people telling me right. you know, more about, about the what, situation. The, the history, yeah. yeah. And speaking of the history, actually, I think I misspoke earlier. I said that uh, the phony war happened after Germany invaded Poland and Belgium. That's not the case. It started after Germany invaded Poland, but they actually invaded Belgium at the end of the phony war, which is what what ended the phony war, basically the 10 May 1940 invasion of Belgium. So anyway. So Chandler, do you have any criticisms of the movie? Do you think that Christopher Nolan didn't do something well enough or even appreciating him as the the type of film director that he is, what, what do you think you could have done better, if anything? Um, you know, uh, I mean, people have criticized Nolan in general as um, being a little bit cold, you know, being, uh, he's very interested in the technical aspects of filmmaking, and he uh, tends to be um, seemingly more interested in, in the kind of bigger ideas than in um, the personal stories. Um, and I don't think that that criticism holds water necessarily with this film. I can see maybe why some people would argue that, um, it was still kind of cold because it, for example, has very little, uh, traditional character development. And that was something that I noticed when I was watching. I, I hit a moment where I thought, oh, I don't know where these people come from. Um, and I don't know where they're going. I don't know. In fact, I don't even really know their names. Um, <laughs> uh, and in another movie, I would definitely call that a big criticism. But here, I, I again, because of the nature of the film, because of its unique focus and um, kind of unconventional uh, approach, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, 
I don't have any uh, real big problems with it, really. Um, and I've only seen it once, so maybe if I went back and uh, saw it again, um, then I, I might be able to give you a, a better answer. But really, I don't have any any uh, large things. I, um, I'm pretty happy to take it as it is. So how many stars or thumbs would you give Dunkirk? Uh, I mean, I guess if it were five stars, um, like out of five stars, I would probably give it five. Wow. Um, that's not to say, I mean, it's not like a perfect, a perfect all, encom- all, all encompassing movie. Sure. Um, but I think that it's definitely up there in my, um, kind of top favorite Nolan movies. Um, I think it's better than a, a number of his movies that I've seen and I've seen all but one. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I like it very much. Second question following on from that, how would you rate Harry Styles' performance in, uh, <laughs> does, this film does he have a Hollywood career? <laughs> uh, he's actually, one I, direction, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, uh, when I was watching the movie, I did not know who was Harry Styles. Um, that I think that's a praise, um, because for you or for him, well, for his performance. Oh, okay, um, I thought you meant for you because you didn't follow One Direction. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't really follow One Direction. Um, but what I what I mean by that is is you know, like in in another movie, um, if you have a pop star like that, you might uh, kind of showboat it a little bit, or they're an um, obvious amateur, basically. Yeah, or you know, maybe you could tell that. Oh, okay, um, you know. Uh, J-Lo is not a great actress um, but um, right, yeah. uh, you know with Harry Styles yeah I, I didn't really think twice when I saw him on screen I didn't um, in fact now I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know which one he played but I didn't like I can't confirm for, for certain that I know uh, who exactly um, in the film Harry Styles was, but I'm, I'm pretty certain he was the, uh, the son of the main guy driving the boat. Um, the son of the, the civilian man who was driving the boat. Um, and if, if I'm correct on that, then I thought he did uh, a really, uh, excellent job and, and a subtle job. He wasn't, um, he did not, uh, you know, come off as, as a bad actor or, or just like the pop star that they got. Um, and and from what I've read online, uh, you know, they cast um, Styles simply on his acting chops. Uh, oh, that's impressive. It, it was not at all, you know, a, because a, he can a sing publicity stunts or anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they really wanted to take advantage of that talent in the movie. Um, well, good for him making a mid career transition then. Yeah, yeah, uh, and apparently they cast. You know, they they um, auditioned you know like hundreds of people for this role, but um, he stood out. You said that this is one of your top Nolan films. What is your top yeah. movie? I mean, film in general that you uh, well choose. My, yeah, my favorite movie is it's called Short Term Twelve. Um, it's directed by a guy named uh, Dustin Daniel Cretton. Um, it uh, won a number of awards at South by Southwest, one of the the big um, one of the big film festivals, which is Austin. by the way in Austin, Texas. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. So you guys should check it out sometime. Yeah. Um, I've never heard of this movie. What is it about? Uh, so it's about a foster care facility for at-risk youth. Um, and Brie Larson, this is the movie that really launched Brie Larson's career. Brie Larson plays a, um, 
uh, a uh, kind of on the floor um, uh, just caretaker basically at this foster care facility um, and you know the the children are coming in and out um, all the time and and um, John Gallagher jr plays uh, her boyfriend and also co-worker at the facility and uh, they have this you know uh, kind of secret uh, romance going um, that's not like this kind of secret in a bad way it's just that they don't tell the other kids that um, okay. you know that they're seeing each other uh, but it, it, it's a really uh, poignant and really beautiful uh, story about these very uh, uh, scarred physically and and emotionally scarred uh, people trying to uh, deal with these difficult situations, but also, you know, ultimately find hope. And they do. It's a, it's a hopeful movie. And um, that's something that I often look for and really cherish is when I find a movie that, that does have a genuinely and not corny um, sense of hope to it. And that all pervades Short Term 12. And it's also a really great story about love. And not just romantic love, but um, a self-sacrificing love for, um, you know, your fellow man. Um, and uh, some really great performances in there, and I think it's it's a really extremely well written script. That sounds good. We'll have to check that one out. We said at the beginning that you are an amateur filmmaker now, and yeah. you're an aspiring professional filmmaker. How do movies like Dunkirk and Short Term Twelve inspire your own filmmaking? Well, Short Term Twelve has been an immense uh, influence on me. I tend to be really interested in those smaller uh, personal narratives um, of people going through some kind of you know difficult um, life situation, and I'm often very interested in realism. And Short Term Twelve is is very grounded in realism. Um, but the beautiful thing about Short Term Twelve is that, in spite of the realism, sometimes realism gets uh, criticized for being too um, too dismal or uh, or sometimes um, too focused on the details and, and kind of uh, reductionistic a little bit. Um, but this film doesn't fall into any of those pitfalls and instead is uh, grounded in realism, but it's a realism that allows for uh, the hope and the beauty that I think is inherent in actual real life. Um, so Short Term 12 inspires me because um, because of the beautiful story uh, and it really just slots in really well with all of the sorts of things that I'm interested in as a storyteller. So basically, if I could make a feature, uh, I would have loved to make Short Term 12. Um, and as far as Dunkirk goes, uh, uh, it's not quite the... I don't think it's quite the film that I would make, um, but uh, I absolutely salute Nolan's... Um, uh, devotion to his particular style and craft of filmmaking. He's very interested in, you know, shooting on film and, and putting real things in front of the camera. Um, and he's able to do it in an era where, and he's able to have massive budgets, but also make a really large profit in an era where, um, you know, sequels are, are, uh, the norm. And, and a lot of Nolan stuff, apart from the Batman trilogy, um, are standalone, yeah. Yeah, they're all originals. Um, so that's really inspiring. Um, but Nolan is also one of the guys who got me really interested in film in the first place, um, partly because I love his nonlinear timelines. Um, you know, there's something really special about the way film can just jump from one thing to the next. 
And I think Nolan handles that in a very, um, a very elegant and often um, sometimes disorienting, but but usually, um, if it's disorienting, that that disorientation uh, only contributes to what I think um, leads to a more um, satisfying conclusion. You know, um, I, I recently saw the Prestige, and the Prestige yeah, does yeah. use that that nonlinear time. And there's yeah. a, there's a part of me that you know the sort of logical uh, left brain part of me that yeah. is screaming whenever this is happening because I want it to be I want it to make sense you know if I have a two hour movie I want yeah. the beginning of the movie to be the early part and the end of the movie to be the end and everything in between to flow in order but then there's mm-hmm. another part of me the right brain and I think I have my left brain right brain right left brain is the is the math logic inclined right brain I is really creative am not sure. I think you're right I think so I don't know. <laughs> The creative part of my brain uh, <laughs> appreciates it and and can appreciate the art in a way that that the other part of my brain can't. So yeah, well, that's I, I mentioned earlier that um, you know with Dunkirk that I was tempted to be a detective, um, and I think that that's true with a lot of Nolan's films. And usually, I, I really enjoy that process of being a detective in um, in kind of deciphering the movie. Um, I, you get that with William Faulkner's novels, for example, and I absolutely love yeah. William Faulkner's yeah. novels. Um, and so I think that that uh, encourages a, a, a novel sort of engagement with, with the work that um, you don't necessarily always get. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, in the case of Inception, which I think is Nolan's film that, that I've seen at least that best typifies what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I, I play detective every time I watch that, and I still don't think I've quite figured it out. But I, I, maybe, <laughs> I mean, maybe the secret is that you can't quite figure it out. The, the aim of that piece of art is to prod and to inspire not not to lead to a solution if that makes sense Uh uh-huh so well okay so you've given us recommendations uh obviously our listeners should go see dunkirk uh but you also mentioned short term 12 so apart from those two uh give us give us a list of a a few movies that you think everyone should go see right now um okay well one of them i i just saw it uh, exactly a week ago and it blew me away it's not a movie for everyone, but I think it's really a beautiful movie. It's called A, a Ghost Story, directed by David Lowry. Um, Lowry's um, previous film was uh, a Pete's Dragon. Um, oh, yeah. It's an animated movie. Um, this is very different from that. <laughs> uh, I figured. But, um, <laughs> yeah, Ghost Story, is. it, it stars um, Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck. Uh, it's in limited release right now, so it might be hard to find. Um, but, uh, Casey Affleck, um, they're, they're a married couple. Um, Affleck is a musician and he dies very, very early in the film. Um, and in a car wreck, uh, but then there's this incredibly long, maybe 30 second long shot of just this hospital bed with a sheet over it with, and his body is underneath. And then after an incredibly long amount of time and you're just thinking, what the heck is going to happen? Like, what are they doing? Is this why is this going on so long? Suddenly the, he sits up uh, and then he gets up and walks out of the hospital covered as in a this sheet? sheeted ghost. Yeah. Um, and now of course no one can see him because he's actually a ghost. Right. Oh, um, wow. But it's, it's this really simple and elegant um, way of showing, look, this is a ghost. He died. And, and now he, he goes back to um, his house and, and just kind of watches his wife for a while. Um, and it, it's a really, slow film but i think it's an incredibly moving movie because it's all about our connections to people and places um and and i was just i was devastated by it i I thought it was um beautiful and so sad um but definitely 
I thought it was absolutely worth it. Um, the movie that I'm really excited about uh, that is coming out in about a week is called uh, Glass Castle. Um, I mentioned Short Term 12 and Dustin Daniel Cretton. This is uh, Cretton's um, next feature, and this one is a much bigger um, Hollywood production, and so I'm really excited to see it. I hope he doesn't let me down. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is also starring Brie Larson and Woody Harrelson. Um, oh. It's adapted from a memoir um, called, by the same name, I believe, a Glass Castle. Um, and it's about this uh, family that, that kind of lives on the run, um, uh, trying to raise children. And, and Woody Harrelson plays the father, and he seems to be this very imaginative kind of um, uh, boisterous figure. Um, so that one I'm really excited to see. Um, there are a bunch that I didn't get to see this summer. Um, I wanted to see A Big Sick. I wanted to see um, uh, uh, Baby Driver. Um, those were some that I really uh, wanted to see but didn't get to. But another uh, oldie recommendation that I'll just throw out there real quick, Annie Hall. Um, oh, yes. This one you can find online. Um, one of my favorite romantic comedies. Nice. I think it's one of, one of the funniest movies, in my opinion. Um, and I, I really, really love Annie Hall. Are you a Woody Allen fan in general? Um, I do generally really enjoy Woody Allen, but I, I, I'm not one of the people who like lines up to go see every one of the movies he puts out every single year. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I think I've seen a handful of them, and and I've liked them. They've always they're always a little bit unsettling. There's something. Oh sure sure yeah yeah. <laughs> so it's not something that I I look forward to seeing, but right. I uh-huh. kind of see it as an artistic experience. Yeah, I don't go out of my way yeah. to watch them, but when I do, I feel sophisticated. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, Chandler, thanks so much for talking to us about yeah, Dunkirk and all things movies. To our listeners, we encourage you to go check out Nolan's latest film, Dunkirk, and uh, let us know your thoughts. You can write in. Uh, Chandler, thanks again for joining us, and we yeah, wish you the it. best as you uh, embark on your upcoming film career. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of Vernacular Podcast. If you have seen any of the movies we mentioned today with Chandler, please let us know what you think. If you are a fan of Nolan Time or not, we'd love to hear all of your comments. And you can give us those comments through Instagram at VernacularPod or Twitter also at VernacularPod. You can also email us at ZachAndSally at VernacularPodcast.com. And if you go to our website, VernacularPodcast.com, you can see and listen to all of our previous episodes. And also from there, you can reach our Patreon page, which is Patreon.com slash vernacular so if you like what we're doing please think about supporting us and if you don't like what we're doing let us know we can do better i think that wraps it up yep so for vernacular podcast i'm zach and i'm sally have a great week when i'm by your